Grace and peace to you. I'm Vicar Derek Kabilis, and this is Exile Cast for Tuesday, the 16th of March, in the year of our Lord 2021. So I just found out that I get to sign up for the COVID vaccine. Even though I am still merely a spry 38 years old and in relatively decent health, they just approved the vaccine for those who are, quote, medically obese. And yeah, that certainly pertains to me. See, all this time you thought all of those chicken wings and Reese cups were bad for me, but it turns out I was just playing the long game. <laughs> but seriously, folks, I hope you're making plans to get vaccinated just as soon as you can. I know there's a lot of rumors flying around out there about it somehow being bad for you, or maybe the process was rushed, or maybe there's some sort of conspiracy and in, in, in some kind of malevolence behind the vaccine. Now, I'm just going to say this with as much love and pastoral sensitivity as I can muster. That's all hogwash, okay? Yeah, but Vicar Derek, how do you know that? You're not a scientist. You haven't done any research. How can you possibly be so certain? Well, you're right. I'm not a doctor. I haven't touched a test tube since I was in the 10th grade. I have no idea just how vaccines work or the way they're developed. But here's the thing. I have friends. I have friends who are doctors and nurses. I have friends who are actual scientists, people that I have known since I was a child, people who I am certain love me and care about me and only want the best for me. The truth of which has been tested over and over again these last three decades and they all tell me the same thing the vaccine is good for you and just about everyone and i know that having them as my friends is a position of privilege okay i i know that that not everyone has friends who are in those kinds of positions, who can trust the exact same way I do. I get it, okay? We Americans are very independently-minded people. We like to make up our own minds and do our own research. But at the end of the day, you gotta trust somebody. Well, there's just no getting around it. Whether it's someone who tells you why the sky is blue or how a vaccine works 
or that they didn't put poison in your food today, at some point, nearly every day, you gotta trust somebody. Friends, we live in an absolute web of interconnected trust. And some people violate that, I know. There are people who give us good reason not to trust them. And, and I would never ask you to violate your conscience and entrust someone who has been deemed unworthy of it. That would be a terrible mistake. But I can't help but think that maybe, just maybe you do trust me. Maybe I've shown you enough of my heart these past few years that you've come to believe in me as a person of at least relative integrity. I mean, sure, I'm, I'm not right all the time and I would never claim that and it's not like I never do anything wrong. <laughs> you can just ask my wife, she has the receipts, <laughs> okay? But maybe, just maybe, I've shown you enough of my own love to win your trust. And if that's so, then if you trust me, and I trust them, and they trust the vaccine, then perhaps your trust in me can live inside my trust for them and our trust can live inside their trust for the vaccine. Anyway, it's just an idea. I know sometimes it feels like we have so much to be suspicious of. Like there's always someone trying to profit off of our gullibility or our ignorance, always trying to take advantage of us in a million different ways. And yet, at the very core of human life, as God seems to have decide, designed it, at the very center of who we are, we have to trust. We have to trust that our mother will feed us, that our family will love us, that our doctors will give us the right kind of medicine, that our food is safe, that our God will hear our prayers. You know, some people think that suspicion is a virtue. And I admit, sometimes in just the right context, it may just be. But you know what? It's no way to live a life. I hope you stick around. we got a good sermon for you today. Our scripture lesson is from St. Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And this is actually my own 
translation from the Greek. And you were once dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the ruler of the power of the air, of the spirit now operating in the disobedient. All of us once lived among them, following the lusts of our flesh and in our thoughts, and were by nature children of wrath, like all the rest. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even though we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together with the Christ. You are saved by grace and raised up in Christ Jesus, who seated us with him in the heavenly places so that in the age to come he might show the extravagant riches of his grace in kindness to us. For by grace you have been saved through faithfulness. And this, God's gift, is not from you, nor the result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his artwork, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared in advance to be our way of life. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. I wish to preach to you today from the title, There's Something in the Air. There's something in the air. Please pray with me. And now, most holy and merciful God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we ask that the words of my mouth and that the meditations of all of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight. O God, you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So, back when I was in college, I had these friends who were students at Ohio State University. E excuse me, THE Ohio State University. I'll know I'll get emails if I don't include that THE in there. Um, so, they invited me to come down the weekend of a really big football game against the University of Wisconsin. Now, I can't remember exactly, but I think it was the case that Ohio State was supposed to win the Big Ten that year by beating Wisconsin. And OSU was favored pretty heavily to win that year, so they said, hey, why don't you just come on down and we'll watch the game, and then after they win, we'll go to some victory parties and, and, and maybe grab something to eat, and it, we'll just have a great time. So I went down... And we watched the game on TV. 
And then Ohio State lost. And we could hear, as soon as the final whistle blew outside, the noise of the frustration of the entire town, okay? There was groaning and screaming and cursing. And, and we were pretty angry ourselves. I, I mean, we fully anticipated that them to win. It, it felt like they had given the game away. And so we were pretty frustrated as well. And we went to a sandwich shop to get some food afterward. In standing in line outside, you could just tell that there was something in the air that night. People just seem to be uh, a little edgier than usual. People just seem to be a little more agitated. And they were yelling across the street at one another and... Some folks were, were just drinking openly in public and stumbling down the road and slurring their speech. It seemed like we smelled smoke everywhere we went that night. And at one point, we, we saw just a random girl in a party dress sobbing while she sat on a curb. And we started to hear helicopters overhead the sound of glass breaking off in the distance. And at that moment, my friend had this flash of intuition and he finally said, hey, you know what? Let's just forget about the food and forget about the parties and just go home. It feels like something's about to go down here. So we just went home and we played video games and had a good time the rest of the night and the next morning, we got up and decided we wanted a cup of coffee. So we went down to the coffee shop on the corner and we couldn't believe what we saw. There was trash everywhere. Broken glass all over the, the sidewalk. Garbage cans and, and dumpsters were still smoldering we found empty cans of tear gas just lying in the middle of the street and then on our way back we saw a car parallel parked precisely in a spot between two other cars the only thing was that it was completely upside down I remember it because it's not very often that you see an upside down car on the side of the road. And so we looked it over and we saw why. It had license plates that were from the state of Wisconsin. You see, there was something in the air that night, my friends. None of us could articulate exactly what it was. None of us could point to it or put a name on it or find the source of it. But nevertheless, there it was. Hanging over Columbus, Ohio. Uh, a dark spirit. A geist, as the Germans would put it. A palpable and foreboding sense that something was just about to go down. Something stupid and angry and violent.
And you know, I bet you could have put every student that was out that night on a polygraph and asked them if they ever thought in a million years they'd be breaking windows and throwing bricks at police officers. And I bet that nine out of ten of them would have honestly said, no way. Yet nevertheless, that night, there they were. Caught up in something that was beyond them. Something bigger than them. Something they didn't understand. Something we've come to call a riot. And you were once dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the ruler of the power of the air of the spirit, now operating in the disobedient. Now, if I were to tell you that Paul speaks of a spiritual ruler of the power of the air you might think that I was talking about something positive. That I was talking about a good spirit, uh, perhaps even a holy spirit. But if you read the passage, and you pay attention to the context, you'd see that the air spirit he's talking about is the one that is operating in the disobedient, as our translation puts it. Literally, in Greek, the passage reads, the spirit that is the energy of the children of disobedience. <clears throat> and if you know something about ancient first century Jewish theology, the Jewish theology out of which Christianity came to grow, you would know that when Paul uses that term, ruler of the power of the air, in Greek, the archon of the, the power of the air, he is referring to the ancient belief among the Jews that fallen angels, all right, the ones we Christians would, would come to call demons, right? Those fallen angels they believed that fallen angels were at work in the world around us. That they were pagan gods worshipped by Greeks and Romans. And that those spirits, those rulers, those archons as they put it, literally indwelt every ruler and in, in politician in wealthy in powerful man or woman in their society that's why they called them the the archons that's why they called them the rulers the ones who were actually running the show on a spiritual level and they were steering the course of the universe it was said toward chaos and destruction and leading them all was a single dark spirit, a spirit in the air, so to speak, who moves quietly, invisibly, 
leading God's children astray. Now, I know that sounds pretty different from the way we usually talk about our own religion, right? You know, we don't, uh, <laughs> we don't talk all that much about fallen angels uh, directing the course of human events. We like to think that God is in control, don't we? That, that God is sort of directing history and that God has God's hand on our leaders and, 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 and is pushing us along, sort of. But that's just not how St. Paul described it. For him, um, God wasn't so much controlling the course of human events as he was trying to win back control of the, the, the course of human events. For him, Jesus wasn't merely a king, but he was an heir who was sent to take back the throne of his father from an usurper who had taken it, who had taken control of the people that were supposed to be his subjects by keeping them in bondage to the winds, if you will, by keeping them in bondage to an invisible force of gravitational chaos that was pulling the world toward destruction without us even knowing it was happening. If I could be blunt for a moment, I think what Paul was saying is that the world has fallen into a riot. A kind of orgiastic conflagration of violence and wrath that has no immediate cause, no rationality, no meaning to it. Just a kind of hypnotic trance uh, floating upon the air, leading the children of God into rebellion against one another and against their Father in heaven. And what's more, he says, is that that used to be you. He says you were once children of wrath. You were dead in your trespasses in sins. That word trespass in Greek is actually a nautical word. And it means literally falling off course deviating from the path, being led astray by the wrong star, being driven by the air that's blowing in the wrong direction, okay? And the truth is, we've all been children of wrath at some point or another in our lives. Have we not? From time to time, we've all been caught up in the spirit of the air. Maybe not literally burning the trash cans or smashing the windows, but at some point or another, we've all had those moments, right? The disagreement that gets out of hand. The hurtful word 
that just slips off the tongue, the envy that we allow to take root in the soul, the moment of greed, the spreading of gossip, the abuse of the chemical. None of it may have been planned in advance, and, and, and we never would have thought ourselves capable of it beforehand. But before we even knew what was happening, we had already thrown the brick. We had already said the world. We had already joined the riot. And the thing about any riot is that there's always one heck of a mess to clean up afterward. But God, being rich in mercy because of the love with which he loved us, even though we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together with the Christ. For by grace you have been saved. Here's the thing. For all the riots in our lives, for all the times we've been let off course, for all the times we've succumbed to the spirit in the air and hurt somebody or oppressed somebody or hurt ourselves or hurt our world for all the, the pain we've caused and the, the terrible messes we've made, we believe that Jesus has already started cleaning up the mess. That Christ has already began gathering the, the broken shards of our lives, sweeping out the trash, extinguishing the flames, putting together the, the broken pieces and setting us on a new course with a brighter star to follow. But Vicar, if that's true, then why does it still happen? You know, why do I still lash out sometimes? Why do I do the wrong thing or say the wrong thing or think the wrong thing? Why is there so much pain and, and, and darkness? Well, because there's something still in the air. There's still a dark spirit on the wind an entrancing geist that, that, that pulls us off course and, and, and reignites the, the fires in our minds. And, and I know this year you felt it like never before, right? We've all felt it, have we not? Uh, the, the senseless agitation that people are feeling, the, the suspicion and conspiracy, the, the violence that flared up on the streets last summer and at the Capitol in January and, and currently what's going on in Portland. People are getting into fights about masks at the grocery store. Friends and neighbors and, and, and folks living under the same roof who, who can't even talk to one another because they are so disgusted by one another. Oh yeah, there is something in the air. And no, you can't point to any one thing and say, oh, that's it, that's the problem over there. Let's go break it. Let's go tear it down. 
because I think you know that deep down you can't get out of a riot by breaking one more thing. No. You know what stops a riot better than anything else in the whole world? It's not tear gas or water cannons or even the National Guard. The thing that stops a riot in its tracks is sunlight. It's sobriety. A moment when someone can finally see and be seen. The moment when the pain that our actions have caused is exposed by the thin light of day and we come back to ourselves, back to our senses, and back to the person that God created us to be. And you know, we... We keep trying to fight riots with riots, do we not? We keep trying to put them down and and stop the rioters with force. And I'm not just talking about the 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 folks in Portland or the folks in, folks in the Capitol. I'm talking about the the people who run riot in our lives, the ones who are hurting us, who who are breaking out the windows of our day to day. And so we curse and we condemn and we quote fight back. But then St. Paul shines a little light and says something that should sober us right up. For by grace you have been saved through faithfulness. In this, God's gift is not from you, nor from the result of works, so that no one may boast. You don't have a reason to brag. Your anger is not justified. Your indignation is not righteous. You got nothing to boast of, be proud of. You were saved by a gift. And if not for that grace, you would be right there with them. Let me say that again. You were saved by a gift. And if not for that grace, you would be right there with them. Now, if we're going to clean our air, if we're going to cast a little sunlight into the dark night of society's soul, if we're going to introduce a little sobriety to those who are hurting themselves in one another, we gotta put down the shields in the clubs and put away the tear gas. And I'm not talking about police here. I'm talking about the riot gear we carry around with us every day. The defensiveness and the frustration the words and the attitudes and the opinions that we use to try to dominate one another. We got to put that down. And we got to bring some light instead. Why? 
Well, because that's what Christ did for us. Not with strength or power or might, but with vulnerability. With his own blood. With a cross. As we say, Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. And that proves God's love toward us. And it also shows us how to prove our love for the world. These words I offer to you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Martin Luther King used to famously say that a riot is the language of the unheard. Boy, that sounds right, doesn't it? And you know what? Like no other time in our lives, we just are not hearing one another right now, are we? Uh, we're not listening to one another. No, we have our own ideas and our own viewpoints and our own ideologies. And those folks on the other side, well, they're just mindless rioters. They're just evil or wrong or both. But how quickly we forget that we've all been wrong and we've all been evil and we've been healed only by the light of Jesus Christ shining in our hearts each and every single day and how quickly we forget that he wants the same thing for them too that they are just as valuable just as meaningful just as important as we are. And maybe we forget that he's trying to use us to be the light for them. That he's trying to use us to perform what, call, what Paul said was the, the ministry of reconciliation. But before we can be used in that way, we got to put down our clubs and our shields. We got to let go of the armor and make ourselves vulnerable enough to hear their story. We can't fire tear gas all the time. We have to share our lives because that's the only way that we clear the air. And now may the love of God the Father, the grace and peace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit go with you and be with you now and always. Amen.